0: Okay, before we begin, let us all take a moment to pay homage to the Glorious One, the Magnificent One, the Undefeated One, the Infinitely Compassionate One, the Most Merciful One, our Teacher, our Guide, our Master. And he who taught us the path to our deliverance. Let us take a moment to pay our respects and our homage. As well as reaffirm our oath. That is to achieve and fulfill the purpose that has brought us all here and together. And let us bring our hands together then. To chant the Namaskar. And pay our veneration. To the fully awakened one the supreme buddha namo bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhase namo bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhase namo bhagavato arhato Sama Sambuddhas. A couple of days ago, one of our most recent new joiners, a young Anagarika for that, he came and spoke to me. Something was bothering him, and so I asked him what was wrong. He said he didn't feel the same love, or he doesn't feel the same love that he felt at home. He felt, he said that the affection that he once was Once he used to get from his parents, siblings and his friends, he doesn't feel that hearing. So I asked him, how did they show their affection and love to you? And then he said, my mother would always hug me. My friends would play with me. My grandma would always pat me on my back and rub my head and kiss me on the cheeks. And when I was in their presence, I felt loved. And I felt that they cherished me and they doted on me. But over the last few weeks that I have been here, I have not been feeling the same love. So I asked him, well, have you made any hasty decisions? Because usually if you let those feelings fester and not address them at the earliest opportunity, they can lead one to decisions which can sometimes be hard to undo and he said, fortunately no, I haven't made any decisions but I have come to you looking for an answer. So I said, excellent. So I said, the truth is, although you may not understand it right now, is that no one has ever loved you as I do no one has ever shown you affection as we do here today you are in the presence of the Maha Sangha and although you don't sense it there is no one in this world that can love you more than we do so he asked me how so you don't show me all those things that I used to and I'm used to, I am used—I was used to while I was at home. Now if you speak to Anagarika Mahatmyas, for instance, they don't get any love from us. We don't even talk to them without the presence of someone else in the room. So there's no patting, no rubbing their heads, least of all no kisses on their cheeks, <laughs> off their foreheads. Nothing like that, no embraces, no hugs, obviously. (laughs) But, you know, typically, girls and young women are usually used to this and they expect that. But they don't get any of that here. So I had to share with this Buddha. I had to explain to him how we show love. So I asked him this one question. I said, so your parents loved you, right? And they showed you love in the ways that you expected them to. All these embraces and hugs and all those things. Where did they get you? How far did they help you free yourself from the things that bother you, annoy you, torment you? And he said, actually, not really, not at all. I asked him, why are you here? Because I was not able to achieve unconditional happiness, a happiness that was not able to be taken away from me. But I said, you had all that love and affection. So how come you're here today? And I said, think about all the times that you experienced that affection that you spoke of. Perhaps your friends, maybe your relations, rubbed your head, gave you a hug. Hmm? Don't you think that they were all done with an expectation for something in return? Your friends would have played with you, your friends might have shared things with you chocolate, stickers, toys, games, whatever in the hope that if you are happy when you get them, then you will keep them happy in return. So how can you truly think, or do you think that love is when you give something, expecting something in return? Or is that more a transaction? I don't think that there's anywhere in this world that you can experience more love and affection and caring than in the presence of the Mahasanga. I don't believe that. Because I believe that true love is where you give purely with the best interest of the other person and it doesn't matter to you what comes back. In return you might get scorn, you might get blame, you might get resentment, you might get a smile, sometimes you might get a thank you, sometimes they'll just walk away, but we don't as if you are a member of the Mahasangha, you don't do any of these things with any expectations for anything in return. I want to ask you how much of a Mahasangha you are. Now take yourself and put yourselves in those situations where people expect things from you, parents. Husbands, wives, children, brothers, sisters, teachers. As you live your life day by day, people will come into your life and they will walk out of it. And while they're in your presence, they'll expect you to show them love. They'll expect you to show them affection, respect. Do you give them that, expecting them to give you something in return? You must ask this question of yourself. And then do you say that this is love? Because this is what people understand as love to be. Perhaps it is, but I don't think it is love for the other person. It is more like love for yourself. Just look at the world outside. Look at the people who come into your lives. You know, if, you, if someone smiles at you and you don't smile back, it is considered rude, impolite. They might even stop you and ask you. I smiled. You? When something, when someone gives you something, they expect at least a thank you in return. If you don't give them that, then they don't feel that they have been honored, that they have been regarded, that they have been recognized. So then you got to wonder, why did they give it to me? I remember very fondly, once there was his young child, his mother was teaching him to Say his T's and Q's, thank you's and pleases. And on one occasion I noticed that someone, gave, come, someone came and offered him. I think it was something, an apple. So this young child, apple in his hand, ready to bite into it. And his mother says, huh, what should you say? So he's looking at the apple. He's looking at his mother. And he's looking at the man who gave it to him. He looks at the apple again and he tries to take a bite again and the mother says, "Ah, what do you say? He looks at the mother again and takes another look at the apple and he says, you can have the apple back. (laughs) He didn't want to say thank you. Of course we must be polite uh, when we live in society, you know like our noble hearts, the child development center I think I mentioned last week. So last week I had the good fortune to go and spend some time there, I was there most of the day on a Saturday actually just after the sermon and after we went for the arms round, two monks mainly look after what goes on there, with the support of our means the in, in, indispensable support from them. So I went there to observe how they do things there, how the children engage in their education and their playtime and so on. And I was very impressed by some of the things I observed. I'm sharing these stories with you because I want to show you what love, true love is really. So. When I and this Swami Nuhansai, we were discussing something about how we go about with this monastery, with the, with the development center the, center, the child came and he stopped. We were having a chat and he, he stopped and I was wondering whether he wanted to listen to what we were talking about. So I, we spoke for another few seconds and then I stopped and said, yes, Buddha, what do you want? He said, "I want to pass," so he wanted to walk past between us. And he said, "I want to get your permission for that. Do you mind?" And then he walked past. Seven years of age, and I asked our swamina, I said, How does how does he know how to do that? You know, these are not things that usually people learn. You know, sometimes. In different cultures, they teach those things, but in other cultures, you don't get to learn those things at such a young age. So he said, you know, Swamiji so, said, this is the this is how we bring them up here. This is what you want us to do, right? Absolutely. And then I heard nahan says, now apparently they've gotten used to when they want to go to the washroom. Now they can all ask it in english so they all say please no they go they go may i go to the washroom so i overheard this one or two times and i said right now let's train them to say their please so they've started doing that now and so they're learning to say please and to say thank you to be polite so this is what i'm saying pleases and thank yous are not optional and we live in medieval <coughs> society because people expect them so as generous as someone might, might be unless their mind is steadfast in the dhamma and they wish to give nothing other than nibbana see nibbana is the only thing it's it's the only thing that is not like a frisbee you all know what a frisbee is? Apparently, they're Australia's biggest expo- exports. And they're also Australia's biggest imports. That's a joke. Yeah, because when you throw it, it comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm wasted in this job. <laughs> so, Nibbana is the only thing that you can get when you don't expect something to come back to you. And I'm going to explain to you why that is today. Why Nibbana is very different to all other things. And for that I'm going to have to get into the depths of the Dhamma. So brace yourselves today. Everyone is a someone. Someone in this world until they have listened to these words and then they know that they are not a someone they just feel like a someone yeah when you can't stop when you can't help yourself feeling a someone feeling that you are a someone and this is what you sense all the time all the time you sense that even in your sleep you sense it <clears throat> now there's always someone that you need to look after, keep safe, take care of. It's like if you're a mother with a child, right, a newborn child, you always have to be attentive to the child, don't you? You always got to keep an eye on the child. Why, say, why do you say an eye? Because the other eye you have to keep on other things, your life has to go on. But you have to keep an eye on the child always making sure that the child is safe, fed, needs to go to the toilet, and all those things. So when you have a young child, you always have to keep an eye on it. What about when you have yourself? Now, of course, you're always going to have to watch out for them. Look after them. This self that you feel inside. It is therefore no surprise that what people do is always with a vested interest to preserve, satisfy, fulfill the self. It is true that this is only a, an imagination. It's like, it's like a hallucination. But when you sense it, you don't feel that it is a hallucination. You feel that it is very real. Right now, if someone were to come running towards you, with a dagger in their hand, you can't help feeling threatened, can you? You can't help feeling fear. If you just, if you got a call right now, and this, and you know, it's uh, bad news, there's been a death of a very close member in your family, most of you, or at least let's say some of you, will really struggle to keep a straight face. I don't know how many of you will manage to say, right, okay, I'll come after the sermon. I want to, I've come here today to spend the day here, right? I'm going to, because today is the day I work on myself. It will be after that, I'll come and attend to it. I don't know how many of you will be be able to do that. I think there will be some of you, but I'm not sure that will be all of you. You can't help that. Sometimes you don't want that, but you can't help it. When you feel emotional, you can't help it. Think about the last time you felt emotional. It might have been when you were watching a film. Perhaps you saw an emotional situation in a movie. Maybe someone showing affection to someone, or maybe someone losing a, a loved one, and you, you became emotional. You know, romance can be emotional. right? or maybe a heroic scene can be emotional. Maybe a great tragedy can be emotional. You can't help yourself feeling emotional. That is because there's a self within you that you always have to preserve, sustain, look after. But these emotions, they get the better of you. What you have come here to do is to not tame the beast. You've come here to kill the beast. Does that make sense to everyone? You have not come here to tame the beast. You've come here to kill the beast. So I'm not going to train you. I'm not going to teach you how to train your dragon. I'm going to teach you how to kill the dragon. (laughs) I muted it so that I don't have, you, we don't have to edit the video. <laughs> There's an adjective that needs to come before the dragon. I'm going to teach you how to kill that dragon. So, I asked this, so, the, so all this love that you've got, you've been getting as in, your, in your lay time, you know, from your family, from your friends. How far did that get you on your path to happiness? Aren't there things that upset you today? And he said, yes, there are. (coughs) Aren't there things that annoy you? Don't you feel that you get into conflict with some situations, with people? Yes, I do. So all that love, and what has it helped you achieve? Nothing. Have you not seen your parents perhaps with each other or with other or with people they know sometimes being upset or angry i have so you see they give you love love that they don't have they they try and give you and they're still not in a state of mind that is fit enough to to be happy so they can't give that to you whereas here We redefine love. If you have been listening to Guru Tero's sermons of late, he will often use the word love, but he'll explain to you what he means by love. So there is noble love. This is not the love where we have to hold hands to keep each other happy. There is not a love that we have to keep hugging each other. I can unashamedly say that I love all of you the same. You are no different to me. Why? Because there's nothing I expect from you. That's why you're all the same. That's a really good point, by the way. If a mother loves her two children differently, that's because one fulfills her expectations more than the other. If you love one person, That could be a girlfriend, could be a boyfriend, could be your wife, could be your husband, more than than anyone else. That's because they fulfill more of your expectations than the other. And that is also why, when those expectations fail to be fulfilled, that love starts to migrate. That love starts to divert in other directions. And we've seen that haven't we far too many times and then we call them a cheat that's the best we can do can't we we say you're a cheat how could you do something like that you promised to be with this person forever until death do us part is what you said on the on the poor world but see what happened you are a cheat that is the best we can do so we label them as cheats And in society, they get a bad name. And that's it, that's the end of the story. But what we don't do is take a moment to understand what's really going on there. Because people out there, they don't know how to re-engineer the mind, the thinking process, thinking patterns. They think people are vicious and vile inherently. You know, if you talk, if you, uh, so many times I've seen people talk about emotions like jealousy, anger, And people say, no, these are natural things. You just need to learn to control them. Yeah. It shocks me that sometimes people say these things in the name of Buddhism. They say, this is what Buddhist philosophy is. This is what the Buddha taught. Jealousy is a natural emotion. Anger is a natural emotion. Sexual desires and lust; these are natural emotions. You just need to keep them on tap. Keep them under control so that they don't overwhelm you and you don't cause harm to others and if you if you can manage to do that then you are a good Buddhist You want to sign up for that class? It's free you want it? I don't want to imprison myself You know that's like there's a there's a rash on your body provided you only have to eat it once in a while It's okay. You know, provided you don't itch yourself to death, that's okay. I don't want to sign up for that class. That is not what Buddhist philosophy is. That's why we are not here to tame the dragon. We are here to kill it. So if ever in life you have felt that you like someone more than the other, You feel an emotional connection to one more than the other, right? That is because one fulfills more of your expectations than the other. And that might just be because they are fairer. Possible. Perhaps that's because they smell nice. Maybe because they have a lovely smile, in your opinion. Maybe it's because they have a sweet voice. You know, go back in time. Ask yourself, in those situations where you chose one over the rest, hmm? what were those boxes that you ticked? Those were the boxes that defined who you are. In other words, your desires. Those were the boxes that defined how you have identified yourself as a separate entity to everyone else. So we are starting to get into the depths of this. Ready? Seat belts on. Mm-hmm. Make sure the oxygen mask is over your head in case you need it. And don't worry, even the young children can understand all of this. I guarantee. So I, you know, we put this in very simple words. Anyone and everyone can understand. You just need to pay attention and as you listen to these words relate this to your life experiences. That's when it will start to click. If two items of food are served to you on two plates and they are laid down in front of you, take nourishment out of the picture. Now if you can choose one or one from the other, you can choose one from, uh, you know, between the two of them, if you can choose one. That is because one of them fulfills more of your desires, more of your expectations than the other. Therefore, you will always have more of an affection, more caring towards one. Let's say, for instance, you have your favorite item of food on this side and something else on the other side. Okay? So let's say you like best, what did we say? Cake, right? Always at our monastery, it's cake. Right? Right. So there's cake on the left-hand side and there's pudding on the right side. Hmm? Now, this is at home. Your pet puppy comes running. Now you know that it's going to get into one of these two. Ask yourself, won't you put your hand out and say one before you save the other? That is because you have more of an affinity to one than the other. Meaning, one of them fulfills more of your desires and expectations than the other. Therefore, you will always separate things and you can't help it. You might discipline yourself and try and control yourself and go, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to have my hands behind my back and I'm going to stay like this. But mentally, you are still doing it. You know, your behaviours, what you see outside, these behaviours are simply extensions of the mental processes that happen inside you. And this is why I believe it is wrong to hit someone as punishment. Right? I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but it, it's pointless to hit someone as punishment because you're hurting the body for something that the mind has done. And if someone slaps you because they're angry, you slap them back, don't you? I mean, not you, of course, you don't do that, but typically people slap them back. What do you attack? What do you hit? What do you inflict pain on? The body. What wrong has that body done to you? Hmm? No, all the body did was extend the mental process. So, if you retaliate, then you're as bad as the, the other person that's why retaliation has no place in buddhist philosophy in the sasana retaliation has no place you will have seen hopefully you know every time something someone threw something at us all we did was we caught it and said if you can't keep it send it we'll keep it <laughs> that's all we ever did because our hands are big enough to catch anything our hearts are big enough to absorb anything and that's what we keep working on you know, because when people have anger and they don't know what to do with it, they throw it away. You know, imagine you know, if you had a hot iron bowl in your hand right, and your hands were burning, what would you do? And you can't drop it. You have to throw it at someone. You would, right? So imagine there are a, there are some people in this world who are always prepared and willing to catch whatever it is you throw away. If it's too heavy for you, if it hurts you, then you can throw it at them, chuck it at them and they'll catch it and they'll put it to a side. But they'll never throw it back at you. This is the people, these are the people who love you. For real. This is the Mahasangha. And if you are like that, then I invite you to think of yourselves as members of the Mahasangha. All four types of these people are members of the Sangha. So you don't, you don't have to be in a robe Mentally, if this is the attitude that you have, then you are a member of the Sangha. Let me give you a story. I'll come back to the Dhamma, but I thought this is a, a good story for everyone to be able to relate to and see where you are. So, once upon a time, there was a young girl, and she had lots of problems in life. So she went up to her father one day and she said, Daddy, I'm really fed up. I'm so stressed. I've got all these problems. I've got issues at school. I've got issues with my friends. Right? There are people who don't like me. There are people I don't like. And it's just the real pain. Right? Can you help me out of these issues? So the girl asks her father. So the father says... So you have problems? Issues? She says, yeah, and I need your help. Excellent. Come with me. So the father holds his daughter's hand and takes her into the kitchen, of all places. Takes her into the kitchen and he says, sit down at the table. He goes to the pantry, picks up a pot, fills it up with water, and puts it on the stove. He takes another pot, again the same, and then on the stove, and another. So how many pots on the stove now? Three. Into one of these pots, he asks his daughter to put in some potatoes. Which he does. Then he says, into the other I want you to put in some eggs. Again she obediently follows the father's instructions. And into the third pot, her father asks her to put in some coffee granules, which again she does. So he said, okay, now go and sit down and let's wait a moment. So now the water is boiling and a few minutes pass, so she's wait, waiting anxiously. She's getting a bit nervous now. What's going on? What are we going to do? I, I've come to you with all these problems and you take me to the kitchen and ask me to put these things into pots and now they're on the stove. How is this going to solve any of my problems? Like all young young people these days. They can't wait, everything has to be instant. Huh? Huh? Huh. So a few moments later, a few minutes later, The father walks up to the stove and he switches off. He takes the potatoes, puts them on a plate, on a dish, and then brings it in front of the child. He takes the eggs, places them on a dish, and brings it to the child. And then he empties the contents of the third dish, which had what in it? Coffee. Into a jug, and then brings it to the child. And he says, Daughter, can you see them? Yes. What do you observe? He asks. So, the child touches the potato. And she says, this has gone soft. It's very soft. This is good. What about the eggs? The daughter says, They've gone hard, Daddy. And then he says, what about the other? Now I want you to think. What might the father have tried to explain to this girl? He says, so the daughter asks this question. Yes, Daddy, I understand. So I can, I can smell the aroma of the coffee. I can see that the potatoes have gone soft and the eggs have gone hard. How does this help me with my problems?" So the father says, all these three things we put into the same hot water, hot boiling water. In the presence of hot water, one went hard, one went soft, and the other, gave itself to the water and now that water is fragrant and now that water is delicious. He asks, which one do you want to be? Do you want to be like the potato that goes soft and mushy in the face of adversity? Do you want to go hard? In the face of adversity? Or do you want to be like the coffee, the very water that boils it? It gives fragrance, color, aroma, and adds value to it. So, what kind of person are you? I want to ask you. Are you a potato? Are you an egg? Or are you coffee beans? See, when adversity comes to you, it is always an opportunity to define who you are, to find out who you are, to really test who you are. If you want, you can go hard in the face of adversity, like the egg did. You fight back. This is the fight response. You fight back. You attack, retaliate. You go hard. Right? An eye for an eye. Or you can go soft, like the potato did. Mushy and curl up into a corner and start crying and sobbing about all the things that have gone wrong in the world. Hmm? 99% of people out there are of these two types. They are the fight back or they flight back. This is the typical response, right? Fight or flight. And you have adrenaline to help you with that also. <laughs> but how many people out there are like those coffee granules, or those coffee beans? The very water that has come to boil it, hmm? it gives whatever it has, it gives its essence to that water. It hasn't taken anything from the water, it has given itself to the water. That is what real love is. I see the Maha like that. Think of all the times where the Buddha was threatened. Even his life was threatened. Of course you can't do anything to a Buddha's life but You know, that didn't stop the threats from coming his way. But on every occasion, he only chose one of four methods to interact with the people that walked into his life. And you know them. It was either through metta, through karuna, mudita, or upeksha. This is how we define love. Now I ask you, do you love your mother? Do you love your father? Do you love your wife? And you, your husband, madam? Do you love your children? Do you love your parents? Do you love your brother, your sister, your friends, your teachers? Do you love your neighbours? Yes. Love thy neighbour. Certainly. Provided you know what love is. The right kind of love will never do you any harm. But the wrong kind of love is as vulgar as hate. I've said this before. The wrong kind of love is as vulgar as hate, because they love is simply the other side of the coin. It is what this world is built on: love and hate. Today you love someone, tomorrow you hate them. Has't never? Have you never seen that happen out there? Hmm? Siblings. Rivalry between siblings. How much of it have you seen? And how much damage How much destruction How much havoc does it cause Now the two people That shared the same space in this world That is only reserved for the two of them That is the mother's womb Only siblings can claim To have shared that space Yeah No one else can But how many twins have you seen fall apart Because they love each other But the wrong kind of love That love is where they expect something in return. If you have that kind of love, it's time you redefine love. Because love is simply hate waiting to happen. I can't put it in more simple words. Love is simply hate waiting to happen. It's like a ticking time bomb. Remember when you say, I love you, There are all these conditions that have to be satisfied. She can only talk with me and no one else. Then I love her. She can only smile at me and no one else. She can only call me sweetheart. No one else. I don't want her going around spreading honey to anybody else. See? If you are walking into this kind of thing, you're walking into a contract. (laughs) That's a seal. You are walking into a contract. This is the small print. Mm. Conditions applied. Terms and conditions applied. Is this what you call love in your life? Ask yourself, are you in these kind of relationships? I, I, is this a kind of relationship that, is this a kind of love that you offer to the world? Because what you give is what you get. When you look at your wife and say, Honey, I love you. Is that because she gives you this, she gives you that, she gives you the other, she gives you this, and she gives you this? Is that why? That is not metta, that is not karuna, that is not mudita, that is not upekshah. This is not noble love. This is just hate waiting to happen. Let me show you how this turns into hate. Hmm? Someone else will have a similar checklist might be the guy next door. He also has a series of boxes. In the event that you find that this person that you think loves you and therefore you love her in return, in the event that she starts to take one of these boxes, maybe another one, at this point you start to get a bit jittery. Uh-huh. We better know where to draw the line. Boundaries are not meant to be crossed all the time. You'll start to have conversations. Interventions will begin to happen. By this point the parents will have to get involved in laws. Hmm? By this point the lawyers will have to get involved what am I making up a story or is this just real life yeah and by this point usually the children begin to suffer if there are any and usually you know once all the boxes are ticked you know these are mutually exclusive you can't tick this box and this box at the same time one or the other, and you say, I love you, you can't help this until the Dhamma is instilled in your mind. Because when you have a self, you can't help but separate things in this world. It has to be left or right. It has to be black or white. It has to be yours or mine. Has to be. You have to have a your person and a their person. So if she's my person, she can't be your person at the same time. There is no separation there. How can she be everyone's person? You come into these problems. I'm teaching you folks how life will throw problems at you and how to tackle them. This is practical Buddhism. I don't know any other Buddhism. That's why I can only share with you practical Buddhism. Now, put yourself in these situations. I only took one kind of relationship. Think about friendship. So one of the things that, that, that Puta said was, you know, what about the friends that I used to be with? You know, they didn't necessarily hug me, but yes. But didn't they have a series of boxes that needed to be ticked? and that is why they were with you, so you were with them, they would have come and played with you because you play with them. They would have shared things with you because you share with them. Is this what you call love? I call this dirty love. Pardon me for saying that. This is not pure love, this is dirty love. This is not noble love. I share this with you because I want you to ask yourselves, where are you in life with your relationships? It, they might have started off like this, but if you are a true practitioner of the Buddhist, Buddha, Buddha's teachings, if you are here as a genuine practitioner of the Dhamma, and if that is why you come and spend time here, and you take our time as well, And if that is why you come here, spend time here, you know, and make use of these facilities, make use of the discussion time, and the Swami Nuhansi's time and all that, I need you to transform from this to one where you have no boxes that need to be ticked. Where it is not a contract. I need these changes to start to happen in your lives. That is when I can consider you to be good students. See if this has begun to happen in your life. If it hasn't, then start. You can't like wish this away. It's not like you can count to one, two, three, and from now on I'm going to not have these checkboxes. That's not how it works. For as long as this is here. It's like the colored glasses. If your glasses are colored, you will never see the world in its true color. If these are blue glasses, the moment I put them on matters not what you have come clad in. I see that you have I see that you've come here dressed in blue. Can I help that? Can I help see you dressed in blue? I can't because my glasses are blue. See therefore when this happens, you can't help yourself from these boxes coming up. And then they have to be satisfied. There will be things that you like to hear, and you want them said. There will be things that you like to see, and you'll want them shown. There will be things you like to eat, and you'll want them cooked. There will be things that you like to do, and you'll want them done. You can't help it. So how does Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta help you to overcome this? If you understand the problem, then we can start looking into the solution. Are you proud to say that you have a relationship where you have boxes that need to be ticked? Hmm? If you if you if you did right, if you still do, and if you did, are you proud of them or are you ashamed of them? Shamed of them. And then for people to say that this is love, you know, I love you, and I, I know, I mean, you know, just people just keep on fooling each other and toying with each other and just, you know, it's just a big world of cheats out there. It's a shame that people fail to see what's really going on. They don't take a moment to stop and understand. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, when I was talking to this child, I said, because one of the things that he wants to do is be with someone. Okay? So as in have a relationship with someone. So I said, if there is someone who wishes to be with you for happiness, isn't that proof that they don't have happiness? Hmm? Isn't that proof that they don't have happiness? Just take a second, say, do it. Guy walks up to her and says, you're pretty. I've never seen anyone as beautiful as you. I'd like to be your boyfriend. Please, can I have your number? And he'll say, nothing in this world would make me happier than to be with you, my love. Huh? Romeo on one knee, rose in hand, asked, looking for his Juliet. If you ever come across that situation, you know, what. if I were you, hmm? <laughs> If I were you, you know what my reaction would be? Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, That's my reaction. That would be my reaction. I know I have only one question to ask them that would make them speechless. Hmm? What are you going to offer me in return? I'm going to keep you happy. I'm going to make you a happy princess. Then I ask them, is that why you are begging in front of my feet? You have come here saying that it is me that's going to make you happy. And now you're going to promise me that you're going to make me happy? It's you want something you don't have, how are you going to offer me, young man? Speechless. One move and checkmate. These are the questions we don't stop to think. You know, uh, parents, teach your children these things. Because then you haven't offended them. You've got them thinking. <laughs> You've really got them thinking. How can you offer me, ayya, something that you don't have? you've got them thinking. That is better than a refusal. Because if you refuse them, you you know, before you refuse, you have to ask another question, right? I've, I've said to our young doers, right, will you throw acid at me? You've got to ask that question these days, before you say no. Hmm? If I say no, will you throw acid at me? Uh, will you kidnap me? Hmm? Will you break an arm or a leg? Hmm? Are you going to do anything like that to me? so please ask them those questions before you say before you deny them otherwise you can be you can give them something to think about i'll answer i'll answer that question if you answer this question you can tell them you have come here saying that i am the one who is going to make you happy how can you then say that you are going to make me happy because you don't have happiness that you're claiming to offer me Come back to me with an answer to that question. I'll take you to see my mother. They'll be speechless. You know, simple truths. This is not rocket science, simple truths. It'll get someone thinking. These are the things that you need to teach your children. Simple truths and their applications thereof. So, how does Anichiduk and Anatta help you to free yourself from this problem? If you remember, last week, somewhere or the other, a stanza was uttered, I didn't think too much of it, but then I thought, wow, that was powerful, when I was brushing my teeth this morning. I'll write it out simply in English acronyms. Okay. Sabbe sankara anicca ti. Sabbe sankara dukkha ti. Sabbe dhamma anatta Yada panya phassa ti. Atanibbitye dukkha E sama govissuddhiya. Anicca, dukkha, and anatta. <clears throat> what I'm about to explain to you is going to be subtle it may be uh, it is profound but if you pay attention and contemplate you will understand no problem so comes with a warning if you don't understand it it's alright, don't worry about it because we will talk about it again in future. This, is a, this would have been a sermon that the Buddha would have given to someone who wishes to find answers to the likes of problems that we talked about earlier. How come I can't help myself feeling this way? Anger and lust and resentment and fear and grief and sorrow, etc., etc. So he's given an answer here. Sabbe Sankara Anichati. All sankara, all kinds of effort, all activity are conditioned particularly activity that goes into making yourself feel that you are an individual they are characteristically anichur i'm going to quickly go through it and then i'll explain because there will be some among you who will get it as the moment i explain this to you and brief is fine for you <clears throat> So if that is, if <coughs> those sa- Sankara are characteristically Anicca, then what you are feeling right now is Dukkha. Sabbe Sankara Dukkati. <coughs> Having understood that, you've got to recognize now then that all Dhammas are Anatta. Means they are inseparable. Yadapanyai Pasuti. If you can contemplate on that, if you can reflect on that, if you see that through insight, this is the dukkha that now you are free from. That is the path to deliverance. What I'm trying to show you is that the very thing that Guru Tavira was trying to explain to you is what the Buddha taught. <coughs> so that was in summary. Now let me give you the detail. <coughs> There's a process that makes you feel that you are an individual, it's a process. We know that the mind is born with a purpose. Because the mind has a business to do, right? That's when it, it's, it's when it starts to astray from that, you, start, you, you begin to say, mind your own business. So what is the mind's business? I'm going to take this out for a second. There are objects in this world which are sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch, and Dhamma. Okay? Objects in this world, they come into contact with the five senses, or six senses, if you consider the mind as one. Let's keep it simple the five senses. Let me take this out for a second. (coughs) And when they come into contact with the senses, we know that a thought is born. So, this is the chakku, this is the rupa, okay? Sight comes into contact with the eye and upachati chakku vinyana. This is the eye consciousness. In other words, the thought that is that is there to process a sight. The thought that is there to process a sight. That is the thought's business right now. This is a very natural thing. There's nothing wrong with that is this do you not see anicca working here <clears throat> what is anicca cause and effect anicca can be defined in many ways we can think of it as being vexatious right but the principle of cause and effect if if it is fundamentally um if it comes in the purview of the principle of cause and effect, then also those things, so anything conditional, You know, you, instead of saying conditional, you could say it's anicca. They're one and the same. Okay? So, this process that you see here is a process that is characteristically anicca. In fact, this is anicca. So, in, in the same way as I, if I were to say, write two number, two numbers on the board... and I say this is 25, you can look at that and go, you are giving us an instance of anicca. This is an example of anicca. How so? Cause and effect. Yeah? So here don't ask where is vexation. Because that is a different explanation. That's a different model. There are lots of different models of explaining this. This is one. So this is anicca. Therefore, this is also an issue. You see cause and effect happening. So therefore, if any of the causes are removed from this, you don't get the effect. Okay, now this is what we call the, uh, this is the normal process. These are the aggregates in operation. So the, or the, the, the aggregate process, the skandha process, right? Then you have the defilement process. Defilement process and the aggregate process. These are the two processes that work with you right now. You have a body. This is all part of the aggregate process. right? The fact that you have a mass, you have bones, you have muscles, you have blood, you have your system, these are all parts of the aggregate process. And not just that, not just your physical body, but the fact that there's a mind that's working out there is also part of the aggregate process. When one becomes an arahant, what they do is they exterminate this part. That is the only thing that stops. And it is what we call padi Sesa Nibbana. Nibbana that is achieved while they're still alive. And that is what we are striving for. Time will deal with this. This is not nothing to do with time. This is the the path of purification that that works on this one, right? So once this has happened, eventually this will happen, and that is when we call it is Anupadisesa Nibbana or Parinibbana, right? So when did the Buddha attain Nibbana? At what age did he attain Nibbana? Hmm? There you go not 80, that is Parinibbana. So what happened at Parinibbana was not this, this. What happened at the age of 29 under the Bodhi tree was this and nothing to do with this. Fair enough? Right. Sorry, beg your pardon, 35. Yeah, 29 he renunciated, didn't he? Yeah, and then six years on. Yeah. These are all, these, both these processes, the aggregate process as well as the defilement process are anicca. Is there anything that you can give me an example of that is not anicca in nature? That is not cause and effect driven? Is there anything you can think of? Only imaginary things. Now hang in there because I'm going to explain to you something that is very subtle so I need you to pay attention. Okay. Is there anything that is not subject to anicca? Only imaginary things. So if I asked you, uh, have you seen a horse fly? Where do horses fly? Or where do pigs fly? The answer is? In my? Because the moment I asked you the question, didn't a flying pig come into your mind? Hmm? Yeah. So where is that? Imagination. In your mind. See, the mind is the only device that is capable of making up stuff that cannot truly exist in this world. Because the laws and principles of physics, chemistry, biology, and other natural sciences, as well as anicca, does not apply to things that you can imagine. But, now here's the important part, but, The imagination process is anicca by nature. It is anicca that enables you to imagine things. But the object of your imagination does not necessarily have to be something that is anicca characteristically. Now let me spell it out to you. In English, (laughs) Jati if this is jati so i'm representing jati as by this figure the origination of jati is driven by the cause and effect principle you can't have jati without cause and effect we talked about this last week when the buddha was asked where is the rupa is the rupa in the self is the self in the rupa the buddha says no don't ask me that question and then if they were intelligent enough to ask well Buddha what question should I be asking then the Buddha said ask me how this comes into being and the Buddha went on to explain all the steps along the way that brings about Jati yeah so it started with what? ignorance this is the dependent origination process now it's the same thing that we, you have come to you have come you have become accustomed to listening to at the monastery sermons where you say if there's a rupa, right, and then you you think that is pleasurable hmm, or joyful, and then as a result of that, what happens? Attachment, yeah, tanha, and then vexation, yeah, and then. Abhisankara or relief from vexation right so this is the this is the process this can be overlaid on the Parish Sampada process no problem because this also explains how suffering comes into being or rather Dukkha comes into being this is that Dukkha so if I were to explain explain how the, the origination of this through this I can also do it through what we call the Parish Sampada process same thing you needn't worry about which one, you know, tallies with the other. It's, that's not the problem that we need to solve. We understand that these are simply two models that explain the origination of this ultimate object. So this is Dukkha. Okay. And once this comes into being, now you know what happens after that. Right. All hell breaks loose and you have the 11 great fires to deal with. So sorrow and grief and fear and agony and all these problems are a result of that. What happens when jati happens in your mind, when it comes, when it originates in your mind, is you begin to imagine this, this hallucination, this imaginary feeling of a self comes into being. Like the, like the Santa. We talked about the Santa example some time back, remember? Although there isn't a real Santa, people can dress up like Santa, but you can't expect what you would expect from the real Santa, from the lookalike center, because the lookalike center needs a lunch break, yeah, so we remember during Christmas in and around Christmas, they would have at uh, the shopping malls, you know, my experience there, then they would have the presents, and the Santa would sit and you know in the center of the mall in the lobby, and then children would come up to him and they would give him presents, presents that the parents would come and <laughs> leave by his side uh, before the day, right and and the santa would uh, somehow magically know the child's name and the child goes "Ah, how do you know because i am santa ho 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 says santa right but you know around 11:30 uh, 12 there will be a board that up says <laughs> that says santa's gone for lunch <laughs> right but pick up any book that's on santa and santa doesn't go for lunch he doesn't take a tea break he doesn't go to use the toilet, he doesn't cough or fall ill, he doesn't grow he doesn't grow any older. Right? But every few years they have to replace this Santa. Why? Because now he has retired. So you see, Santa is an imaginary character. He lives in only only in fairy tales. But that doesn't stop you and I, people out there, from dressing themselves up like Santa. And then pretending to be him. That's not the problem. The problem is not in, not in him dressing up. Any old man dressing up. Uh, by old man, I don't mean old man. I you know, just mean casually, just any man dressing up. What I mean is, what the, the problem is, when you expect what you would expect from the imaginary center, from this man, now you're bound to suffer. So it's the same thing that happens here. Jati is what really happens. Okay. Jati is what really happens. But you imagine that this is something else. You think this is self. And then you expect from self, sorry, you expect from jati what you would expect from self. Now you see the problem? Hmm? You see, self is an unconditional thing. It is not anicca. It is not anicca. There are no conditions that bring up self. So therefore, a self exists forever. You can't talk about the origin of a self. When did you come into being? Ignore the Dhamma and try and answer that question. When did you come into being? You can't tell me on your birthday. You know, say 25, 30, 60 years ago. You can't tell me then because I'll ask you what happened before that. Then you'll tell me, I was in my previous birth. See, that's still you, right? And then what about before that? And then I was in my previous birth. And then before that? The birth before that. So what's going to happen to you now? After I die, what's going to happen? My next birth. And then the next birth. And then the next birth. See? You always exist. You will die and you are born again. You die, you are born again. Right? But you will always exist. Because when this jati happens, what you sense is a self. And that self only lives in an imaginary world. It is simply a sensation. It is simply a a feeling. It's only a perception. And that perception is timeless. In other words, there is no expiry on that. It has always been, it is, and it will always be. But that is not the case for Jati. Jati is not something that has always been. It is not something that will always be. It only arises in this moment because of the causes that are available in this moment. Each chitta that originates—you know—we I, I drew the chitta process just a moment ago, right? Uh, sense objects, sense doors, and the chitta. Each of these chittas is a brand new chitta. Okay, the chitta that is happening within you right now has never risen before, and it never will again this is the only time it has been it is unique in this chitta we talked about the hijacking that happens because of ignorance and attachment and jati happens this jati has never happened to you before and it never will again are you on board with what i'm saying trying to explain to you here this jati will never happen before will never never happen again it has never happened before but then you'll say No, but wait, Swamina Doesn't jati happen all the time? Yes. Each one a separate instance. Because jati is conditional. Each one a separate instance. It's like, imagine a water fountain. And say there's a ball floating here. Hmm? This ball, if you observed it over a period of time, you will see that it's in one place it's stationary but is it no because there are causes that always keep it up up there see let's let's talk let's walk through the journey of one drop of water right it rises here comes up this is one drop of water i'm talking about okay it comes up here it hits comes into contact with this ball it delivers the energy that it had within it to the ball keep it up there and then an opposite reaction obviously right and then the ball now sorry the drop of water now starts its descent that leaves the ball up there in that instance immediately behind it comes what the next drop of water and immediately behind that comes what the next drop of water not the same drop of water but Fast forward this over a period of time. If you put a if you put a camera, right, what do you call them? Time. Uh, time lapse. <clears throat> if you put the if you put a, a camera onto this, a video camera, you will see that the ball is stationary. But do you understand that it is not the ball stationary, and you know it's not put there; it's always being kept there. Every single drop of water contributing keeping that ball up there, but it's not the one drop of water. Each water drop does what it can do, and it passes away. The same applies for jati. Each chitta that arises, ignorance and attachment are the same causes every time for jati. There's no, there's no difference there. Ignorance and attachment are always the same. <clears throat> Just like it is always water that keeps us up. It's not a bat next time, not an orange juice next time, or apple juice next time, it's it's always water. And perhaps, you know, it's the same water that, that keeps circulating, right? But that's in that example. Here, it's always ignorance and attachment. But it's not the same ignorance and attachment. This is why, in the next moment, here you have ignorance and attachment, that gives rise to jati, In the next moment, if you rid ignorance, attachment is rid and therefore the mind can be freed. The next thought can can arise without ignorance, therefore without attachment and therefore without jati. It's possible because in every every chitta, it is a brand new process. That is why it's possible. If it was the same ignorance and the same attachment right from the beginning, then there would be no end. Then there would be no end. This is only possible. Becoming an arahant is only possible because jati is also aniccha. But you know the irony of that. And this is the funniest part. Something that is aniccha by nature, when it comes into being, it feels that it is not aniccha. That is the irony of it. When jati happens. When you feel, begin to feel the self, right? You don't feel that the self arises and passes away, arises and passes away, arises. And you don't feel that, right? But that very sense of a self can only come about thanks to <laughs> the nature. Thanks to the thanks to this process being nature. In other words, this is cause and effect. But once this happens, you don't feel that it is cause and effect going on. So think, you know, imagine for a second that the principle of cause and effect stopped and there's no more cause and effect, you would not feel a self from that point. You would not feel a self because the feeling of self only comes from jati and nothing else. It only comes from jati. What is, you know, I keep drawing jati like a ball here. You understand that jati is simply like, it's, you know, it's like a cancer on the mind. That's what jati is. It's a disease of the mind. So I'm only drawing this to really, you know, put it very simply to, show, to represent it, okay? It's not a thing that sits on your mind. It's something that happens. And, and if the mind is energy, you know, think of like like noise pollution. You know, there's noise and there's noise pollution, right? Yeah, so, so noise pollution is where, you know, unwanted noise adds into noise, ambient noise, right? So the similar thing happens here. The mind is an energy. But when unnecessary unwanted energy or this energy warps into something that is unnecessary, it is only unnecessary to the mind that doesn't want to suffer. That's all. That's another thing you need to understand. So is jati bad? No. So, But why are we talking about it then? Because it leads to the 11 great fires. It leads to suffering. It leads to grief. So if if you know say if say there was there was a God who would stand outside and observe everything that's going on, he would now have no problem with jati. Jati is only a problem to the mind that suffers from jati. It's like if you had a cancer, it doesn't bother me. My cancer doesn't bother you. Cancer is only a problem to the person who has the cancer. Make sense? like that. Jati is only a problem to the mind that, have, that suffers from Jati and, and no other mind. But Jati is simply a conditional instance. It's a conditional entity. It's a Sankar. It's a Sankhata. As all Sankatas like this came into being because of causes, Jati mm-hmm. came into being because of causes. So I go back to the verse that the Buddha uttered. sabbe sankhara hmm? all sankhara that goes into doing this process sabbe you can think of this as being all so sabba can mean two things one if you take the superficial meaning it means all everything right or you can mean, you can you can think of it as what leads to self, that which leads to self is also subha. that is the etymology of the word. So subha can either mean all sankara, right? so comprehensively all of sankara can also mean subha. the other meaning of subha is all sankara that leads to the origination of a self. That is a sankara I drew up on the board earlier, you know there's a defilement process, Right? Now, see what the Buddha says. They are anicca by nature. sabbe sankara aniccaati Okay? If it is anicca by nature, now what we need to understand is sabbe sankara dukkati meaning what is happening here is dukkha not self. This is Jati. This is what the Buddha is trying to get across. Sabbe sankara, if, if Sabbe Sankara is aniccati, right? if this is conditional, if all co- if all processes that lead to the self, the creation of a self, is, is, is Anicca, in nature, then this has to be Dukkha. Because if it was the real self, it, it cannot be Anicca. There are no causes to the real self. Like Santa, no, who was Santa's father? Who was Santa's mother? Huh? We don't know because he has no origin. He's a fantasy. <clears throat> but the, Santa, the person who plays the role of Santa, the guy who dresses up like Santa, he's got a mother, he's got a father. So he has an origin. So you could go and ask the guy who sits in the mall, who's your father? And he'll give you an answer. But if you if you turn the pages of a fairy tale book written on Santa, it'll never have details of his parents because he didn't have an origin. So the self that you sense doesn't have an origin. That is why when I ask you, who was it that was there yesterday? You'll say that was me. Who was it that was there last year? Last year that was me. And who was it that was there before you were born? That was also me in my previous birth. And then before that, that was me in my the birth previous to that. And the next birth, that's me. Next birth, see. So there is no origin. Therefore, there is no end. Not to jati, this imaginary self that you feel right now. You feel that you are a self. You are separate from everyone. You are an en- you are an entity. You are an identity, right? This is all an imagination. Does that this is all make sense to you? So, so therefore, this self feeling or the actual self is not Anicca. Why? Because it has no origin. Why? Because it does not exist. Only things which have an origin can exist. That's why last week I I explained to you when they came and asked the Buddha, Sir, do you say that the Self is in the Rupa? The Buddha says, no, I don't say that. So do you say that the Rupa is in the Self then? No, I don't say that either. So do you say that the Self is not in the Rupa? No, I don't say that. So do you then say that the Rupa is not in the Self? No, I don't say that either. So what the heck do you say then? <laughs> Was what people would have asked him, because the Buddha never said any of those things to then later on say, "No, I didn't say them." You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> because it is only something that you said can you then say, "No, I didn't. I didn't mean that or whatever." Yeah? But the Buddha never said any of those. He never spoke of self. That was not what the Buddha's purpose is coming to this world. He does not speak about something that does not exist. He only talks about what does exist. So the self doesn't exist, but what does exist? Jati exists. That is Dukkha. Dukkha is synonymous with Jati. It's just another word. You can either call it Dukkha, you can call it Jati. Call it whatever you like, it's the same thing. That exists. Why? Because there's a process for its origination. That's why it exists. Ex- exists. You can't talk about something existing without talking about and its origination. See, now the Buddha says, there is a Sankara process. And the fact that it's a process means it's anicca. Because cause and effect. That leads to the creation of this sense of self. But that is dukkha. Does that make sense to all of you? Excellent. That being the case, if this is Dukkha, now understand that this is not what you think it is as self. So, once you are clear on that, what do you need to do? Contemplate then. Contemplate on what? Sabbe, Dhamma, Anattati. That all of Dhamma, you can take it as sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, if you wish. You can take it as Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, if you wish. So here he's talking about Sankara. Oh, actually, you know, he's talking about Dhamma, right? Not, not only Sankara, he's talking about everything. Because some people question, you know, why is this Sankara, this Sankara, and this is Dhamma all of a sudden? Did the Buddha forget what he was talking about halfway through? No, what he's saying is, all of Dhamma, all Dhamma that you can either take again, Sabha as being all, or you can take it as whatever you think leads to this self. But really, it's what leads to dukkha. It is ignorance of that that makes you think that it is atta. Right? If you're ignorant, you'll think that it is atta, meaning separable. So, srupa is separable, vedana is separable, sanya is separable, sankara is separable, vinyana is separable. Right? And there are different... So, you know when we see one person and another person, Right? That is, again, Nama and Rupa, right? Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. Another person is Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, vijnana. In absolute terms, this is all there is. But you separate them, don't you? This is Chris, that is John. Where did that come from? Chris is not in the Rupa, it's not in the Vedana, it's not in the Sanya, it's not in the Sankara, it's not in the Vinyana. But And John? No either. So, but why do you sense that they are two different individuals, two different entities? Because you've got your colored glasses on. Meaning, you feel that you are a separate individual, you are separate from everyone else, you are a separate entity, and now through those lenses, you project onto the outside world. And now all combinations of Nama Rupa, all aggregates of Nama Rupa, you personify them. You make entities out of them. You you, you do God's work, really. You are the creator. (laughs) You create something that does not exist. You become God. That's what happens. You create entities. You create individuals. You create sentient beings. There, is, there are no sentient beings in this world. All there is are Nama, Rupa and Defilements because of ignorance and attachment. It is your sentientness or your, your beingness that makes you project beingness to other aggregates of Nama and Rupa. This is what the Buddha is explaining here. And it all happens because you don't, you are, because of people's lack of understanding of Anatta. So, therefore, he finally says, sabbe dhamma anatta yada panyaya pasati For one who sees that through insight. What is this insight again? Anicca, dukkha, and anatta. For one who sees that through insight, Atanibhindhati dukkho That in itself is their freedom from this dukkha he talks of. This is the dukkha, not the eleven great fires. Because you don't need to deal with the eleven great fires once you've dealt with this. dukkho esamaggo visuddhya That is the only path to liberation or purification. This is the Visuddhi Magga. See how clear his teaching is? You just need the key to unlock it, to make sense of what he's trying to say. That is why, you know, I mean, the Tripitaka will tell you Sabbe Sankara Nichati, Sabbe Sankara Dukkati, Sabbe Dhamma Natati, Yada Panyai Pasati, Athanibiridhuko is a Magga Visuddhiya. But to put meaning and essence into it, you need the association of the Mahasangha. That's why the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha, the Noble Triple Gem must always thrive. They must always prevail. You can't simply have the Dhamma and try to achieve, try to become Buddha. You need the Sangha to help you do that. And Sangha is not this one person I'm talking about. Sangha is true love that I spoke of a moment ago. That is true love. Metta, Karuna, Mudita and Upeksha. How does one achieve that? When they understand this. See, think for a moment, folks. Remember that checklist we had we talked about earlier? Huh? The contract of dirty love, right? Why do you think this exists? Hmm? Why, why, why are people so 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 obsessed about making sure that, you know, because this is how they define their happiness, isn't it? Provided I have a series of checklists which have which can all be ticked, I'm a happy man, is what people would say. What they're essentially saying is, sabbe saṅkāra nichati, sabe saṅkāra sukhaṭi, sabbe dhamma attaṭi. I can't complete the rest of it because I, <laughs> there's no panya in that. So when is sukha? If, if you think that this self is sukha, right, or, or, or pleasure, this is, this is a pleasurable sensation, this being a self is the best thing there is, there is to be. Now, what you want to do is satisfy that self as much as you possibly can. You just imagine, you know, if ever you got a, say a rash or a cancer, on you know, skin cancer. Just imagine that, right? and you didn't know it was cancer. Imagine that, you know, if you had a, you had a cancer on your arm, And you thought that, you know, it's a a decoration that no one else has, only I have it. It's it's like a, 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 you know, it's something that helps you to stand out of the crowd. Now you'd walk around showing it to everyone and say, see, look at what I've got. You haven't got it, have you? Now you will do everything in your power to protect it. See, you protect your cancer. That's what people are doing right now when they don't realize that this is a cancer, when they don't realize that Dukkha is a problem, that this Dukkha is what brings you the 11 Great Fires, when people don't realize that, the very thing that brings them suffering, they try to protect. Oh God! See, when you protect your own suffering, how can you be freed? When you are the guardian, When you are the guardian of your own suffering, how can you be freed? One of our Swami Mahasis recently gave a wonderful simile. He said, if a man had a bottle of poison in his hand and he wants to drink it and he holds a gun in his other hand and he says, come close and I'll shoot. How do you save that man? He wants to drink it. He doesn't know this is poison. He feels that anyone approaching him is a threat. Someone who's come to take his ambrosia from him. That's what he thinks it is. This is poison. And he holds a gun, says, come one step closer and I'm going to pull the trigger. But what is it really in his hand? Poison. The moment that touches his tongue it will only cause him destruction and death. See? This is what happens when you think Dukkha is self. You know why people don't like to come to the monastery to listen to the sermons? There are people like that. Would you believe it, sir? There are people who don't want to come to the monastery because they say, say, when we talk to you, you know, you are going to stop us from being reborn. They they say when we talk to you, you know, we will feel like letting go of all these things. And, you know, I I fear that. I don't want that. Then I'll have to let go of my wife, I'll have to let go of my children, I'll have to let go of my car, my house, and all these things that I have built up for myself. Myself. I mean, how do you save people like that? Aren't they holding a bottle of poison and a gun in their hand and say, Don't you dare? How do you save people like that? You can't save people like that unless you have an abundance of metta. Because they're holding a gun to you. And say, so come forward and I'm going to shoot you. See, all the things that now you have to tell them to, to settle down. No, it's okay. I'm not here to threaten you. You know, Let's just talk about some of the good stuff that you've done in your life. You're not such a good person you are. There's no one better than you. Right? things that will will help, you know help them to feel that they are even better that this bottle of poison is really good i 'm not going to stop you from drinking your poison right Let me come and serve it you in a dish. <laughs> See these are the things that you have to say to people to allow them to help you come close to them so that you can then help them. You can't tell me that they get up close to them expecting anything in return. That is true love. That is true love. When the only thing, the only reason you are walking up to them is to help them, free themselves from the bottle of poison that they have held in, that they have holding, that they have in their hand, and they're about to drink it. And they have nothing else to offer you, because you know you don't. There's nothing anyone else has to offer you because there's nothing you want from them. When there is no self, and then the mind simply does its job of perceiving whatever object that comes at it, if that is the only purpose of the mind, then the mind has no wants, the mind has no desires, the mind has no needs. And when the mind has no wants, no desires, no needs, then what does the mind want from anyone else? Then you have true love. This is pure metta. Karuna Where you go and help others Because they need it, not because you need them Mudita Where you have to be very soft, extra soft Extra cautious on their behalf You see, because if they pull the trigger hmm? Imagine they pull the trigger Who have they just Disadvantaged themselves? You say a doctor is coming up to you and he's a, he's a surgeon okay he has a knife in his hand because he has to cut you open to get the stuff out of you imagine there you have a big huge bulge in your tummy and it's going to burst any moment right the only way to save your life is to cut it open and take it out before it bursts now you know like an appendicitis <clears throat> now you see the doctor a surgeon with a with a knife in his hand and you feel that you are threatened by the doctor because he's coming to cut you up and say, you cut him before he cuts you? Imagine you have a dagger in your hand and you cut his hand. The hand that is about to save you. Who have you just disadvantaged? Yourself. That is why Mudita is so important. Not because the surgeon wants to save his hand because he doesn't, he no longer has the, the appendicitis. His teacher did it for him. His doctor did it for him. He took it out and now he's free. Now he walks around trying to help other people. But he knows that if this person cuts my hand off, I will no longer be able to help him. So therefore to be able to help this poor person, he tries to not you know, make this person angry, not try to tease him. Just try to casually, very carefully, you know, try to cajole him into allowing this person to go and go and treat him. That is mudita. I, I don't know where there is more love than in the sasana This is mudita. Sometimes people will come and shout at you. They'll come and you know say all sorts of things, all sorts of accusations. We won't fight back, we don't retaliate because we know that one day he will need my help. So therefore we say we are sorry. I'm really sorry if it upset you. I'm really sorry if it offended you. You know, that is not what we intended. Not because we have anything to gain from them. But if we upset them now, they'll go away and never to come back. We want them to come back. So that we can help them. This is true love. Expecting nothing in return. Absolutely nothing in return. Because what we need has already been accomplished. So if already it has been accomplished, then what do we need from someone else? This is the nature of the Maha Sangha and I want you to be members of that Sangha. Because bhikkhu bhikkuni upasaka and upasika, you're all members of the Sangha. So in, ev- in all of your relationships, in all of your connections with others, ask yourself, are you someone who gives away dirty love? Or are you someone who gives pure love? Are you a source of metta? Are you a source of karuna? Are you a source of mudita? Are you so- a source of upeksha These are things I want you to think about. Transform your relationships. <clears throat> While you are still out there, transform your relationships. Become Sangha wherever you are. For some of you, it may not be possible or achievable in this lifetime to don a robe or become maybe an Anagarika. Who knows? But you can still be a member of the Sangha by being a source, of a fountain of metta karuna mudita, and peksha. And I've, what I've tried to explain to you today is how you can get there and what true metta really is. So once again, for as long as you have a self that you need to preserve, you can't help fighting for it. You can't help fighting back when you feel it threatened. You can't help it. You can become aware of it and try and control yourself to some extent but the internal feeling that keeps coming up, that fire, the furnace that keeps burning, you know, you can't just, you know, you can't just completely ignore it. That is why right now, you know, as sakers, meaning individuals who are on the path to your, to your deliverance, you will sometimes feel torn between two, two opposites. Uh, one side of you will say, that's not the right thing to do. The other side of you will say, but I need to do it. I want to do it. What do I do in this situation? So you'll be torn. Long time ago, you were not, because you only had one thing to do, that is to satisfy the self, keep yourself happy. Now you understand, every time I try and satisfy and make myself happy, I'm only doing myself disservice. Remember, every time you satisfy the self, the self hardens, it grows. That is why it is it is harmful to engage in activities that bring you pleasure without contemplating on it now that is not to say that you should now abstain yourself from all kinds of pleasure that's not what i'm saying pleasure is a mental thing right? what i'm saying is do all the things that you have to do if you have to go out and eat at a restaurant do that if you have to dress up to go out do that right if you have to give throw a party do that right do whatever you have to do but always contemplate who are you trying to make happy here who are you trying to satisfy if whenever you contemplate on that you will recognize this teaching sabbe sankara anicchati sabbe sankara dukkha this is dukkha if this is dukkha this is what brings the eleven great fires what business do i have trying to keep this guy happy contemplating on that do whatever you have to do be with friends talk to them if you have to go on a trip then so be it if you have to take a holiday with your family, then so be it. It's fine. If you have to go and eat at the restaurant, then so be it. If you have to order pizza tonight, then so be it. It's fine. That is not the problem. The problem is where, when you start to indulge in those sensualities, right? if you allow that to happen without any contemplation, that is very dangerous. Because every time you indulge in sensuality, Okay, what what do I mean by sensuality? Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, all those things. Every time you indulge yourself in sensuality, the self continues to grow and foster. You are protecting the self, you are growing the self, you are nurturing the self. Why so? Because what you are experiencing is relief from vexation. Right? When you are relieved from vexation, you experience pleasure. When you don't put on your contemplation hat, you now believe that this pleasure was there in the experience. In other words, the self is permitted and allowed to experience this this pleasure. And so, therefore, you keep going feeding into this vicious circle. This is a this is a positive feedback loop. A positive feedback loop. Every time you experience pleasure, you keep feeding the the you add you keep adding fuel to the fire. And it just keeps on burning. That is why to this day. Satisfying, trying to satisfy yourself through pleasure has never, you know, gone to an end, has never seen you to an end. You just keep keep on doing it, keep on doing it and more and more of it. There's never an end to it. Why? Because it's a positive feedback loop. Yeah, enjoying yourself without the contemplation and growing it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and growing it. So... Just because you've listened to this sermon today doesn't mean when you go home and you have that ice cream You're not going to feel You're not going to feel pleasure. It's okay You will feel the pleasure. That's fine. What I want you to do is contemplate on what's really going on reflect on this Reflect on the fact that this is, an, is this a separation that I'm experiencing right now. To me There are some tastes that are more pleasurable than other tastes. Why so? Because there's a, I sense a self that is separate from all things, and that self has separated tastes in this world. There are some tastes that are pleasurable, delicious, and there are some tastes that are not delicious, not separate not not pleasurable. This is all a projection of your separation, or dukkha. And then what do you do next? You contemplate on the truth. Sabbe dhamma anattati. Rupa vedana, sanna, sankara, Vinyana is what is really happening right now. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch is what is really going on right now. They can't be separated. They're all part of the same stuff. It's all the same energy. They cannot be separated. That contemplation leads to what? Yada panya pasati. Now you see it insightfully. At that moment, Atanbindati Dukkha. Nibbindati dukke. means to free. Right? Liberate. To liberate from dukkha. Which dukkha? The dukkha that we just talked about a moment ago. Jati. If you are doing that, what more do you need to do to become Sangha? That is Sangha. Because Sangha is a process. Sangha is an activity. Maha may be a person. Uh, you know, this, this image. But the Sangha is, the, is working to eradicate ignorance and attachment. That is what Sangha is. And if you are contemplating on this truth, now you are Sangha. Does that make sense? So I warned you right at the beginning, it was going to be a bit deep, right? But this is the, this is the truth. <clears throat> so the more you are able to contemplate on this, the more your self or this, this jati is attacked and it becomes, it becomes extinguished at one point, right? The more that happens, your dirty loves transform into pure love. Because then all your purpose becomes helping other minds achieve the same sainthood. Helping other minds achieve the same. Because you have nothing to expect in return. You expect nothing in return not because you're a good person. Don't think of it that way. You know, those, those Swami nuances are really good. They don't expect anything in return. No, that's just, that's just nonsense. You don't expect anything in return because there is nothing of value to expect. That's why, that's why. You know, if you took me to a playpen of young ki- young children, you know, you won't see me snatching one of their building blocks and putting it in my pocket and walking away, will you? No, because I ha- there's nothing of value there. So imagine, like that, one day, all sights, all sounds, all smells, all touch, and all sights, all kinds of thoughts, you lose value in them because, why were they valuable until now? Yeah, because you thought they were pleasurable and therefore, because of that, you vexed and then to relieve yourself of vexation, right? you use them through Abhisankara to create, to generate this sense of self. That is why they were pleasurable. That's why they were valuable. But once you realize that this is all dukkha, this is not a self, then they no longer have any value. They never had any value intrinsically. It was simply value that you projected onto them. We've talked about this so many times before. The very reason that their business can exist in this world is what? Because value is not intrinsically in any of the objects. Otherwise you would never be able to buy a car with any amount of money that you have in your pocket. You won't won't be able to go shopping. If beauty truly exists in a bouquet of flowers, why would the shopkeeper give it to you in exchange for money? The very fact that he's willing to sell it to you (laughs) is proof that beauty is not in the flowers. The very fact that he is willing to give it to you. Hmm? A girl likes to hold a guy's hand right? and a guy likes to hold a girl's hand. If that is so pleasurable, why doesn't the girl walk around holding her two hands like this? Hmm? Why does she want to hold the guy's hand? Does she see the guy walking around like this, holding his own hand? No, why? because that in itself is proof is it not that this is not pleasurable but why don't we see that because we are too blind Oh, we are fast asleep so do what wake up all right before we conclude i want to show you a short video clip we have been so fortunate to be able to take the dhamma Far and wide and I'm sure you will know that recently one of our high ordained monks, uh, Venerable Dasa Thero, he went on a tour, not tour tour but a Dhamma tour to take the Dhamma to the Australian community. So he's been there for three months now. He'll be returning shortly and I asked uh, one of Anagarika Mahathya's who went with him to send us a short video of what they got up to while they were there. I'm really pleased about what they have managed to do during their short but very productive time there. They have managed to go to schools, they have managed to go to rehabilitation centers, uh, youth correction facilities, You'll see photos of that in a moment. They have managed to organize several talks, Dhamma talks and seal programs. So really our our main target was not the uh, Sri Lankan expat community, you know, because they get it whenever they come here. Really our target was the, you know, natives in that country. Because we want to take this Dhamma to them, because we, why? What do we expect in return? (laughs) Nothing. You know, so many times Dasanandru asked, you know, "Do I have to? Do I have to go? You know, Can I not be here at the monastery? This is home for me. You know, I, if I go, I'm going to have to leave Guru Tera, I'm going to have to leave you, and, and go. Can I not be here for a bit longer?" But eventually, you know, he he came to terms with it. And the same for the Anagarika Mahathera. He's still an Anagarika, still training to you know understand what this is. Our, 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 ecosystem here our our culture here and and so on but you know we felt that he was prepared for the for the job and you know when duty calls you know all all hands on deck this is what we live for to give people the truth to help liberate themselves right expecting nothing in return now I have proved to you that, that I'm not saying this just because I'm a nice guy I'm a nice guy but that's not what I'm saying we give things without expecting anything in return Right? When I understand that the, the what do I, say, I why, what I feel as a self is pure dukkha, pure suffering, why would I, why would I do anything, right, to nurture this this suffering? Right now, you have to understand that my question life has to be to free myself from all attachments, from all wantings, and from all desires. It is now obvious to you, right? Not just because I say so. Now you understand it. So with that same intention, we have been able to do that. For our Australian community. Now today's Independence Day, right? We have been able to take independence to Australia. How was that for size? Uh, we've, we've been able to give them a taste of freedom. And they have asked for programs in the future and they have he has received several invitations, particularly from rehab centers and particularly the youth. I, I think drugs is a big problem now, uh, not just in Sri Lanka, but in lots of parts of the world. And I think Australia has taken a big hit. So, you know, once our rehabilitation center is up, you know, our plans are to make, you know, those facilities available to them as well. Because they're all, you know, just as human as we are. Under the skin, you know, we are all red in blood. We're all the same people. And we're all, after all, just minds. All deserving of the Buddha's Dhamma for freedom. We all deserve the Buddha. The Buddha belongs to all of us, doesn't he? He doesn't just belong to Buddhists. Jesus doesn't belong to Christians. Jesus belongs to everyone. The Buddha belongs to everyone. The truth belongs to everyone. Because the truth is here for all minds to be freed. So I want to show you a short video clip of his escapade in Australia. The one disappointment that he had was, to this day he's not seen a single kangaroo. (laughs) some of the highlights uh, that Dasanandru and uh, uh, Anagarika Mahatma spoke of were the seal programs that we joined online because at the monastery you know when we have the meditation programs we do our one-to-one chats so we were able to do the same but online for people there so I think they really enjoyed that opportunity uh, Anagarika Mahatma has also joined from the Anagarika Rama to help with the ladies and uh, and to help them to resolve their practical issues by applying the dhamma. So I think that was a huge highlight of of that, of of the event. And also particularly those visits to the rehab centers and there are a lot of youth out there because they don't have the dhamma, right? So they don't have the truth therefore whatever means and methods they know you see throwing money at problems don't doesn't doesn't kill them you know australia is a developed country it's a first world country but what matters is whether you have the dhamma or not without that it matters not how developed you are how much money you have suffering is suffering for everyone so we were really pleased that we were able to Give the gift of them to take the Buddha's message to them, and I think so there is a there was a monastery that the Australian community had uh, set up before Das was visit there. but I think only for a very few days he he spent there. most of the time he was traveling the country, going from place to place, as the Buddha wanted of us that is what he did. I think maybe in all of the three months that he was there, I think one or two weeks was the only time that he was at the monastery. Other times he was just traveling. I think most of the time, they were telling me the other day, most of the time they spent, you know, mid-air. Because, of course, in Australia, you can't drive to places, you have to fly. So every other day or every two or three days, they would be on a flight from one city to the other. And I'm really pleased about what we have been able to do as a community you know this is all all of us who helped make this possible you know all of you who who sat down and, li- and, and listened to him speak and and gave him the opportunity to share with you the dhamma and giving him the opportunities to 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 explain the dhamma making sure that he was able to you know deliver it in in, in you know as, as sharp it, as, it, as it needs to be you know all of you who you gave him that moral support and 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 made sure that he had the requisites that he needed as a monk right, to, to come this far. Yeah, I remember bringing Dasahandru here when he was just a young child, uh, several years ago. And and the conversation that he and I had one day when he finally came and asked me, right, so Aminam said, now is the time I need to decide, do I stay or do I go? And we were in Anuradhapura at the time. And uh, I explained to him, you know, this is what's gonna happen if you stay, this is what's gonna happen if you go. So those things that he would have wanted to do staying here i think you know he's he's, he has started to make that change in the world and i want all of you to to rejoice in what we have all achieved and managed to do you know so well and clearly that it is not our intention to go travel in the world right because we've been there (laughs) dasa hanra didn't need a visa to go there because he can travel wherever he wants to so it's not a desire or a need to go traveling because we've seen enough of the world so much so that we want to get the heck out of it and but we know that uh during our stay here we have something that we can offer to all burning hearts and all hearts that are that are you know that are suffering and that is what we want to do and you have all been you've all played a key part in making that happen so i think the blessings of all that is yours as much as it is his as well as the Anagarika Mahata who went with him and I want you all to rejoice in them and to resolve that may all those merits the power that you put behind him the energy that you put behind him and to sustain him as a monk right all that has gone to good use as you can see so may those merits help you all on your path to your own liberation as well okay so with that I'm going to conclude the sermon Okay, let's do a transfer of merits and bring today's sermon to a close. First and foremost, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, chanting for it, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord with this teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who, since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer the merits we have all acquired today to Guru Swami Nuhansi, as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be thereby translating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plains, May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who pass, to to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes, May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer this to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way, And by the power of these maids, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer maids to the devas, brahmas, spirits, and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhu Sasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these maids, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who've been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara and to those who've helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us make, take a moment to transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits that we have acquired throughout the day. Let us transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, blizzards and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them and may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbara. Let sad, sad, sad. us all resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land, and finally, May through all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a arahatun Mahanse or Arahat Teranin in this very life itself and in the eve of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadh, sadh, May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all.